Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us. On tonight's program, the CEO of Domain, Jason Pellegrino, answers a few questions. And I asked the question, is this company really worth buying, considering we're in a property boom? And then investor mutuals, Hugh Giddy, pinpoints the defensive stocks he likes in this volatile market. Then the CEO of BHP, David Lamont, really makes you want to buy BHP. Uh, it gives me a lot of confidence that the share price can keep going, but more importantly, the dividend looks pretty well um, stuck. They're going to keep on paying real good dividends at least for the next year. And finally, Paul Rickard looks at the companies that have reported this week, and we ask the question, are they buy, hold, or sell companies? That's the show. Let's kick off now with the CEO of Domain, Jason Pellegrino. Jason Pellegrino, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, mate. I've, you know, I've gone through your, your numbers. Revenue up 27.4%, net profit up 2.4%, and the market's giving you a bit of a, 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 a sell-off today, down 6.4% as we talk. Why is the market so negative on the company at the moment? Look, I mean, it's difficult for me to point to specifics of market behaviours on a single day. Yeah. We, we've seen extraordinary strong response over a number of years. And and the, the numbers today, I think, are a, a, a really high set quality set of results that ha underpin our, what we've been focused on over the last three years, which is really through three of the most complex years in the Australian property market. We have transformed the business and we've been setting the business up for the success uh, to benefit from the inevitable listings return, which did happen in the last six months. So a 27% revenue increase, you know, mm. 53% increase in underlying EBITDA. Mm. There is still some complexity in our numbers that rolling out of COVID, there is timing of JobKeeper. We took JobKeeper in the middle of COVID, but yeah, our performance warranted the right decision for us was to pay that back. And we did, that just happened over two separate financial years. Mm. We implemented a job, um, a zip line scheme, which was an employee share for cash salary swap um, in the early parts of COVID. And those are, those impacts are sort of one-off timing impacts that uh, are not ongoing. So if removing the impacts of those, which are very material, yeah. they, they benefited our cost base by $8 million or more in the prior comparable period. And, and then the cost uh, of that was over $8 million in, in this uh, financial period. So there's a $16 million swing, which is incredibly material. Yeah, in the numbers we're up, you know, fifty three percent year on year in terms of EBITDA and an e even greater uh, growth in net profit and um, yeah. to shareholders. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, you know, obviously in my job, I, I got to try and work out why the market reacts in a certain kind of way, and we instantly went to your rival REA, and they've been clobbered over the same period as as well. So you start thinking, well, what what could be the cause of why the market is not really appreciating the improvement in the business? And like uh, one argument might be interest rates are set to rise, but really they're not rising at the moment apart from fixed interest rates. And the supply of houses coming on the market really should be a good thing for you guys because that would mean more ads. Is that a fair analysis? I think that's a fair analysis. Look, uh, the thing that I, f I find quite amusing is uh, there's a lot of commentary out there of uh, you know, of stocks and opportunities and whether it's IPOs or in the private market of, you know, this could be the next domain, this could be the next REA, this could be the next seek. 
I actually think the next seek, I think the next domain is actually domain. I think it's yeah. seek. I think what, what uh, broadly based speaking is people are, um, I don't think they're actually understanding the quality and resilience of these classified business models, their ability to actually expand into broader based marketplaces, um, the resilience of the revenue and the profitability. If I look through over the last three years, you know, extraordinarily complex environments for jobs, cars and, and real estate, and, you, and on a global basis, and yet these businesses have continued to deliver growth in revenue and profitability. And as these markets and economies coming back, we're seeing an acceleration of, of these these parts. Looking forward, I, you know, I'm actually incredibly excited about the opportunities that lay ahead. Mm. So it, it's not for me to predict stocks. I, I've I've done that in a prior uh, evolution of my career. I'm mm. not good at it. Uh, what I am good is at running a business and. And the reality is I'm really excited about the domain business. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I know you can you know, hide behind the, the, the fact that you go run a business and the most important thing is to run that business really well. But for me, I've got to try and keep, keep flushing it out. It seems also to me, and tell me if this is a, a fair call, that you're probably being lumped into the tech stock category. And a lot of good companies that are tech stocks have been sold off primarily because they are a digital business. Yeah, and, and I think the value to sorry the growth to value rotation, the the inflation aspect, you know, the, these sectoral rotations, you know, these are powerful drivers. And and to be fair, I would say there are so many tech stocks in the early parts of COVID or through that period that benefited from this. So you know there are swings and, and roundabouts in this industry. What what I think is quite interesting though is we are absolutely a technology business, but we are a high growth revenue, high profitability, and high growth in profits. Yeah. business we're not a business that is actually trading on a revenue multiple or looking for unknown parts of property yeah and, that, and i think in many ways that's what investors should be looking for another aspect which i think a lot of people don't understand is that really because you have people say oh well you know prices boom 22 percent or so last year and prices are expected to rise by a smaller amount uh, next year and then fall uh, in if, if you believe uh, Westpac, 14% in a year after. But does falling prices necessarily mean you earn less revenue? Because it all, it's all about ads on the website, isn't it? Look, we have transformed our business over three years. So um, three years ago, 18% of our revenue, over $70 million of our annual revenue was out of print. Yeah. In the last half, that's down to six percent of our revenue. You know, we've dealt with the structural trends, you know, structural yeah. trends of print, and we replaced that with higher quality digital uh, listings revenue. So that revenue, it's not dependent on pricing. It's mm. it is dependent on listing volumes, mm. but we hold ourselves accountable to what we call controllable yield, which is for all the listings that are out there, um, what is the price we're selling products for, and what is the uptake of those products across, you know, our agent community, for example. And in that instance, we've accelerated controllable yield from 6% year on year three years ago to 19% in the, in the current year. And that's independent of listing volumes. So going forward, the, the reality is our business performs at its best in relatively stable sort of slow sort of single digit increases in price and decrease in price. Mm. Whenever you get large swings, that's when you all of a sudden get uh, a sense of lack of confidence or uncertainty and it does slow down people's decisions to bring property to market. You've got to remember, most people who are selling property are also buying property. That's the mm. highest volume transaction. And so whether it's a fast rising price or a fast falling price market, 
that does that does make people's decision to sort of buy hesitant and then also then the decision to list yeah it would seem to me jason even though you've been in the business only three years i'm sure you would have looked at the history of the of um uh, property businesses it seems to me the biggest challenge would be unemployment big unemployment would really hurt a business like yours and Looking at forecasts, it's going to be a, a long way off before we see something like that. The vast majority of property transactions in the country are, are driven by demographics. It's exactly it's births, deaths, marriages, it's new jobs or loss of jobs. It's it's uh, um, it's the divorces, it's the new marriages, kids, like all these elements. Now, over the last three years, listing volumes did contract significantly because of lack of confidence, lack of confidence of job security, all these sort of elements. But those demographic movements are still there. And so what we've seen in the last six months is essentially a catch up of this sort of mistransactions or mislistings in the last uh, three years. Yeah, yeah, a good example. If you are a couple with one child in a two bedroom unit and another child coming along, you, you do need extra space. You know, if okay. through a divorce, a property can, you can hold onto a property, but eventually it needs to be sold. If you have a new job, you can rent for a period of time, you can commute for a period of time, but eventually you need to you know, enter into a transaction. And, and that's what we're seeing. So actually we are facing, and what we're seeing in the market is a catch up of missed transactions over the last three years. But on top of that, those demographic chain uh, drivers have actually accelerated. People are re-looking at and revisiting what home means for them, what work means for them, what flexibility of work and commute patterns mean. And so that's why it's a, it, it's an incredibly exciting period ahead. I think in terms of the the market opportunity around listing volumes and transactions. The other opportunity is that you know we're moving beyond listings. We've got a great mortgage business. We've got a great property data business to help you know governments to help um, financial institutions really understand property data and the impacts of uh, of these patterns and behaviours. And that's opened up domains opportunity to to brand new markets with considerably larger TAMs than the advertising market. Yeah. Okay. And if if you hadn't paid back the job keeper, what would your net profit look like? Uh, so that the swing there was adding that back eight million dollars, hmm. just in the half. Yeah. So that's really where that's a material amount if you think about the dollars that the you know net profit for the half eight million dollars is incredibly material. Yeah. Wouldn't you love shareholders to reward you purely on the basis of how nice you were to the government coffers? Well, look, I think at the end of the day, it was the right thing to do. It's, yeah. it's, we took the benefit in a period of deep uncertainty. Yeah. Um, you know, it did provide us with security and confidence and it was you know, through there. But what transpired after that was not property price declines or was actually increases. And what yeah. transpired out there was our ability to, um, to run the business well. What transpired is our employees stepped forward into Zipline and decided to take, you know, over 80% of our employees took up equity in, in domain and they're now owners of our business, mm. which is extraordinary in an ASX context. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, a lot of benefit for there. We thought the right thing to do was actually to repay that business. Unfortunately, accounting requires us to recognise the, the cash flows in different halves, but yeah. overall, we look through that uh, to the underlying business. But I guess you, you therefore could probably say with pretty good confidence, as long as revenue holds up, you should be looking at a much bigger net profit um, uh, come um, August, October. Yeah, and I think this is where those timing differences go through. You either adjust for those now or, or you'll see them in the later period. What we're saying is, 
let's adjust for them now. These, this is the underlying performance of the business. We're not going to take double credit of that in, for that in our next period. Mm. Uh, sort of, un, we'll sort of also sort of report on those adjustments because we really want to focus on the underlying performance of our business rather than just you know accounting and cash flow uh, impacts that are just one off and are completely independent of the performance of the business. Okay, mate. Thanks for joining us, and uh, you know, well done, and uh, good luck going forward. Perfect. Thank you. With the market under a bit of uh, challenge at the moment, we're talking to Hugh Giddy, who's Senior Portfolio Manager at Investors Mutual. Hugh, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Were you expecting the volatility this year? Uh, oh, it's very hard to ever forecast um, you know, what the stock market's going to do. Yeah. Um, as to the likelihood, certainly that, that was much higher because valuations are so stretched. Mm. And I mean, last year you could see inflation getting out of hand mm. and, and eventually you thought something's got to give. You know, central banks can't keep their head in the sand and say, oh, it's transitory, mm. you know, it's going to go away. Because inflation's, I mean, if you look at where inflation is now, it's 7% in the US and interest rates of zero, that's a negative real rate of, of minus 7% is, yeah, is unprecedented. It's unbelievable, yeah. Okay, so it, so and, and we all know once rates take off, it's, it, it unnerves the mar- market, at least in the short term, and we'll talk about that later. Sure. But what is, like, if we get, give the, the, the time for it period of 2022, mm-hmm. do you think that the market will be higher at the end of this year than it is now? Now it's a guess, and don't say it's a mugs going to try and tip the market. You have to give it an answer. Do you, do you suspect that the, the way the things will actually work over, over the course of the year, that stocks can go up? I, it's funny, my cheat sheet was to that question, it's a mugs game to forecast <laughs> the market. Yeah, but that's, that's a cliche. It it's excellent. fair to say that I believe overall, mm. um, there's a good chance that the market ends the year lower. Yep. However, that's the index. Mm. You can still make money in selected stocks, mm. but overall, valuations are very high. Interest rates mm. going up are normally not good valuations. They're not that great normally for the economy improving, getting mm. stronger. Yeah. Um, you know, when you've got a very, very financially based economy like Australia, you know, the, mm. the first world, you know, a lot of developed countries, the financial sector is very, very big. Mm. You know, the low interest rates are helping private equity, venture capital, you know, as mm. well as banks and stock market and pension funds and so on. There's all that other sort of part of the economy that relies on cheap finance. Yeah, and the tech stocks have been a case in point. Well, and they've been huge beneficiaries yeah. of low interest rates, um, but they've also been beneficiaries of... COVID, of lockdowns and so mm. on, you know, I mm. mean, mom and pop store had to close, but Amazon, you know, some online retailer didn't. Costco didn't have to close yeah. uh, because they sell food, but, you know, someone else did who mm. sold other general merchandise. So, yeah, you know, it really... Flowers on Valentine's Day last year, it was a very big issue in Melbourne, I think. Uh, I actually mm. closed it down on the, the day of Valentine, or day before, mm. and so many flower shops ended up with flowers I couldn't get rid of. Oh. Anyway, that's, that's the past. We, yeah. We're looking at the future here, mate. Um, so, um, 
Do you think the market's going to be rattled by what the Fed might do with interest rates in March, particularly if they go for a half a percent rise first up? Hard to know. I mean, you know, it's, it's already being built into expectations. Mm. So it, I'd say it's very likely to happen because mm. the, the Fed tends to, if you look at Fed actions, they often mimic what's already happened in the forward markets. Yeah. So it's not such a surprise. Mm. Um, I, I suppose it, I don't think that the market always follows the news. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people who feels journalists have to write a story. Mm. And so there's always an explanation for why the market rose or fell. Yeah. And sometimes they say the market went up with oil price or mm. something and then it fell because high oil prices caused people to worry, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. So whether it's about the Fed action, I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, but what I do know is that part of the reason valuations are so high is there's this very firm faith that the central banks are going to navigate this and that there's always they there to back up the market because they've held yeah. interest rates too low for so long mm. and that's really pushed up financial assets. But I personally, I, I think central bankers are about as competent as Chairman Dan is logical. Yeah, Not very. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, given that setting, um, and, and, I, and I personally think interest rates, how, how many we get in the US, how fast they rise, mm. and, and then the course of Omicron. If Omicron dissipates quicker than we think and inflation starts coming off the boil, that could be a good scenario if the Fed doesn't raise too quickly. But on the other hand, if they raise too quickly and Omicron is still causing supply chain problems, well, then I would agree with you that the market could be down at the end of the year. So that's, that's my, yeah. my best guess. Fair enough. Given that, that two alternatives, what stocks do you think look like good value? Which ones do you think the current share price are a good buy right now? Well, in terms of specifics, in general terms, I'd be avoiding commodity exposures, even though it's a high inflation, great to be in commodity exposures. Yeah. The thing is, I think that, that commodity prices are quite high mm. and we've seen before how rapidly they can fall. So yeah. I'd sort of be avoiding that, even though I'm worried about inflation. Yeah. Uh, I'd be into more defensive things because I think that central banks have to act yeah. against inflation. Yeah. So more quality defensives. In amongst those, I'm, I would highlight Horizon. They reported um, yesterday and, uh, you know, they have very strong cash flows, a very good dividend. Uh, they're a little bit out of favour because people who are worried about climate change don't like the fact that they rail coal as part yeah, of their business. A big coal. Uh, but it's a very, very strong cash flow business yeah. and, mm. you know, and, and, and a very high uh, yield and cash flow yield mm. uh, and a good balance sheet. Mm. Um, good dividend part. Yes, yes. The, well, the dividend, they've, they've cut a bit because they did this one rail acquisition, yeah. um, but it's still you know, paying a good dividend, fully franked and backed very much by cash flow. You know, yeah. the, and the yield still as good as, as what you could earn in a bank, which yeah. I believe is better more than risky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, better than a bank. But better than a mm. bank. And certainly more than you can earn in a term deposit yeah. in a bank or something, yeah. but better than a bank share is yeah. what I mean. Okay. And then I'd also I'd talk about Orica, which is less of a, um, it's a little bit more of a cyclical business, mm. but not that cyclical. They're really exposed to mining volumes rather than the commodity price itself. Yeah. 
They're the <coughs> world's leading explosives company. They've got um, the leading te technological offer in explosives with a wireless blasting offer that can really raise miners' productivity. Yeah. And um, yeah, this balance sheet's strong, but they have been hit by COVID, few mine closures and so on, and that means no mining operation, mm. no blasting, no explosive use. Um, new management that I think is doing quite a good job. Um, world leader, uh, not expensive. Um, I think that, yeah, and it's not really about the economy. You know, it's, it's about mining volumes, which, you know, given where commodity prices are, either they're gonna, uh, you know, it's hard to see mining volumes falling. Even if commodity prices fall, miners don't stop mining. Yeah, so I guess what you're saying is that even if the um, commodity prices start to fall away, it won't be because there'll be a lack of demand. It, it could be an oversupply reason behind it because otherwise they won't be blowing up as many pieces of dirt yeah, you know, I mean, like yeah. it could be a small fall in demand, but yeah. a small fall in command can be magnified in the in the commodity price. Yeah, but commodity prices aren't always about supply and demand. They're, yeah. You know, the the, the 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 paper transactions, the financial transactions in oil swamp the actual transactions of people who want oil for their refinery mm. and are selling oil from their well. It's it's is a lot of you know, financial speculation that goes on in commodities, futures contracts and so on, people who are never going to take delivery of the physical commodity. Okay. Oh, okay. What kind of dividend does it pay? Uh, the dividend, I mean, the balance sheet's strong. Mm. The dividends has been depressed because of this COVID thing, mm. but the yield's uh, 3 4%. Okay. So, so both the stocks you've mentioned are reasonable for dividend players. Yes. Uh, do you think it's going to be a good year to be defensive with reliable dividend-paying stocks? I do. Yeah. I, look, if, if, the, if I believe the market is going to be quite uh, challenging and choppy, mm. then you know, at least if you're getting a dividend, um, that, that's giving you part of your uh, target return. You know, yeah. I think investors should be targeting over time a return of 8 or 9% because mm. that's what you've historically got. Mm. If you want to keep up with inflation at the moment, you're looking for a bit more, but maybe that's not so easy. Yeah. Uh, just inflation doesn't gift you a higher return. Uh, normally actually means a lower returning market. In real terms. Um, and um, so, yeah, I would, uh, I'd say it's good to have that, 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 that you know, okay. put the, the dividend in your back pocket and hope you can make some capital gain along the okay. way too. So the fund that you're most responsible for, mm. what's the investment strategy? What's the investment theme? We, we buy quality defensive companies, quality mm -hmm. value companies. We've got to look at the price, mm -hmm. you know, what the, what's the valuation, but first and foremost, you want to buy something quality. It's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's too easy to buy something that looks cheap, but it's cheap for a reason. That's the classic value trap, and you know, we, there are countless value traps always available in the market that mm -hmm. sort of look good, but then you look at the track record of the company or the track record of the management and you realize, you know, it's a 50-50 at best. Whereas you buy some of the quality names like Horizon, they've got a, net, a network monopoly on their railway lines, they've got these long-term contracts, that sort of quality, mm. and it's cheap as well because it's got a cash flow yield of, you know, uh, in the low double digits, mm. uh, that, 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 that uh, cash flow multiple and a cash flow yield in the high single digits, yeah. you know, that kind of thing, that's quality business that's cheap. Do you have BHP in your portfolio for the dividend? Uh, no, because 
you know, the dividend depends on the commodity price. The commodity price depends on effect, effectively iron ore and copper. Those yeah. are both very elevated. Yeah. Small drop in demand, and those, those this commodity prices can fall a lot. I was around in 2008, as were you, yeah. and we saw initially early 2008 the GFC was starting. Oil price went to 150, mm. but uh, in May, I mean, it was it was under 30 mm. by November. And you know the, the the effect of that price fall is is magnified on the commodity producer because their costs don't really change. Yeah, Hugh Giddy, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks, Peter. David, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Peter. So let's talk about the great report. Uh, I'm sure you, you've been the numbers man, you'd be happy to have a report like that. Well, what are they going to be the makers and the breakers for the outlook that's determining where you think this company's going? Well, let me start, by, Peter, by actually acknowledging it was a significant uh, half result. It was yeah. a record performance for the first half of the year. And a lot of that was driven by um, strong prices. And that leads us back to China as a key customer of ours and clearly what we have seen is a little bit more resilience coming back into the China economy alongside real estate, alongside credit access and that's playing out in how we're seeing the underlying demand for our products and the prices that we've been able to realise. Hmm. I guess in trying to work out what are going to be the, the main drivers of success for the company going forward, you also have to, or clearly you have to work out where you think China's going but also what about the, your competitor in, in Brazil, namely Vale? Do you take into account what they might do in terms of supply over the course of uh, 2022? Look, we certainly do. Um, and it's important to acknowledge that as the lowest cost producer in the iron ore market, that puts us in the best position to maximise the outcomes that have come from pricing. So a really strong operational performance underpinned the record result. Clearly what we're looking at is supply and how that plays out and Vale over the period of time have had some supply interruptions which has tightened the market. Best way for us to actually access that is continue to focus on what we can control which is operational performance and being low on the cost curve. Okay, you mentioned China um, and China's got a role to play in terms of costs and inflation. How important is inflation going to be to the performance of the company going forward? Look, it certainly is a factor. Um, we're focused on the fact that inflation has some lag effects, but let me just sort of break that down a little bit further for you. We see two sides to the equation of inflation right now. There's tightness in the supply chain market, which is having inflationary pressures. Now, some of that we would see as being transient and ultimately should be able to work their way out of the system. And then the second side of the inflation aspect is very much dr demand driven. So this is having input cost pressures in relation to explosives, in relation to diesel prices and in relation to prices primarily. Mm. But on the other side of that, that's actually meaning that we're getting higher realised prices for a number of the commodities that we produce. So net net, that actually means that we're growing our margin. And our EBITDA margin for the half was a very healthy 64%. Mm. I, I didn't think about asking this question, but if I was you, I, I certainly would have an answer to it. Have you made your best guess around what the Fed might do with interest rates in the US? Because if they raise, say, seven times, and the first one is 1%, as, uh, as Mr Bullard suggested, which I don't think will happen at all, 
that that will have a, a certain impact on, I reckon, global demand and whatever. Has that? Have you tried to work out what is the best case scenario over there? Look, we're certainly focused on it, and as you mentioned earlier, if you look at the inflationary aspect in the US, at let's call it seven and a half percent running at the moment, yep. that's something that we need to consider. Um, we certainly think that ultimately wages are behind that, and so we're paying attention to whether wages will catch up and how that could play out in the overall picture. But I would also just say to you, you know, at the moment in the US, if you look at households, um, wage increases haven't been keeping up with inflation, but they also have a, a large amount of uh, savings at the moment. So how people look to spend that money will also be a, a contributing factor to see how demand plays out for ultimately the, the commodities that we see and ultimately the products that, that are produced from those. Yeah, well, David, when you and I had a lot more hair, we never ever thought uh, you buy a mining company for dividends, but over the last few years, you've kind of turned that generalisation on its ear. Is the dividend looking pretty safe for another year? Look, again, if you just look at the last 18 months, including the dividend that we just announced, we've mm. delivered 22 billion US dollars to shareholders. Um, and that is a, a substantial return uh, to shareholders. Now, moving forward, we will continue to ensure that we apply our capital allocation framework and reward shareholders appropriately, understanding that we need to continue to also reinvest back into the business and maintain our resilient and strong operational performance, but at the same time look to grow the organisation. So it's always a balance. It's something that the board with management look at every six months to ensure that we're actually rewarding shareholders appropriately. Yeah, what about, uh, you're talking about growth. Um, uh, are you thinking about an acquisition along the way? Look, in relation to growth, we do look at, at mergers and acquisitions as one lever, but we also have other areas that we continue to focus on as well around how do we actually grow organically as well. Now, whether that's early stage entries, whether that's using innovation and exploration uh, and making the most of the resources that we actually have already in our portfolio. But M&A is something that we consider, but we'd only look to do that if we can see that that's ultimately adding to shareholder value. Mm. One last one, mate. Omicron's been a, a curveball that all businesses have to deal with. Have you guys you know, done some analysis on, on whether you think there's going to be a continued challenge to your business from you know, either Omicron or other variants? Well, certainly we have. And you know, over the last two years, the strong operational performance is a demonstration of how resilient we can be in the face of COVID. Uh, and certainly the Omicron side of things is one aspect, but I'll take you back two years ago and we were seeing high levels in Chile as an example at our operations there. And we've been able to adapt our processes and, and continue to operate effectively and efficiently throughout this period. Now there's lessons that we've learned out of that. I mean, in the last six months, we were seeing 15 to 20% absenteeism on the Eastern Seaboard of Australia in our coal operations. And yet we're able to adapt ensure that we're able to continue to deliver uh, products safely, most importantly, but also meet our production uh, outlooks. Okay, David, well, we, we tipped uh, you look, look, look like good value at $35. Just keep up the good work, please. Uh, thank you, and uh, certainly appreciate your interest. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. David Lamont, BHP.
Well, it's time to have a look at reporting season. It's been a big week this week. So I've got Paul looking at the major companies, what they've basically told us about their company going forward and whether they are buy, hold or sell. Paul, good to see you. Thanks, Peter. Let's just start with BHP. It started off the week in a big fashion and the market's been pretty positive ever since. Oh, the BHP's a buy. Probably remains a buy still, Peter. That was a great result. Um, look, it's not doing anything wrong. That's the most important thing about BHP. You've got great fundamentals and commodity prices are still more on the up. Uh, you know, they were pretty bullish about the outlook. And uh, BHP's now the biggest stock in the index. I think we're going to see more passive buying. So fund buying. managers really have to buy. Yeah, they have to. They, it's, it's, it's getting up towards 12%, Pete. Mm. Um, they, can't, they can't not hold it. It's too yeah. much risk for them. So I don't think we've yet seen all that that's my sense and okay. uh so dips for bhp are going to be bought yeah and you get and we we actually have um well i think it should add it. it's yielding over eight percent right yeah and so it's dividend, buy, dividend so, chases will yeah, buy it so yeah you're going to get a dividend of about two dollars and ten cents for that on that half year and mm. uh you know look as long as bhp doesn't do anything stupid right and my stupid i mean do a huge acquisition at the top of the cycle. That's what I'm really worried about BHP. Okay. They've got to do some acquisitions. They've done that historically. Historically, but yeah. uh, that I might change my view. But I think dips and BHP are going to be bought. Okay, right. Let's go to another big, uh, very impressive company, CSL. Uh, we've liked it. Uh, it's had a nice rise this week. Was it purely because of the report? Look, I think so. I mean, I think it got they got too negative. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised by the market's reaction to the report because CSL told us back on the about the 10th of December, <laughs> that they, they confirmed guidance. And that's five and a half months out of six months into a cycle. It wasn't too hard to work out what it was going to be, you yeah, know. Yeah. But they, there were some positives, Peter. I mean, they did include, they did reaffirm guidance, but they included some of the transaction costs, about 100 million US dollars um, of transaction costs for V4 Pharma in, in their sort of operating mm -hmm. profit. And so I guess that you could say they raised guidance by 100 million dollars. That was one thing. And then secondly, the influencer businesses did really well. And then thirdly, you know, the, they showed some data that said that basically, you know, plasma collections are back on track, that mm. they're almost back to pre-pandemic levels. Yeah. Now, CSL's always argued that it can basically, you know, from as much plasma it collects, it can sell the product for. Okay. The lead time from collection of plasma to the product is about nine months. So that gives you a pretty strong forward indicator mm. uh, of what the CSL's uh, profitability should be in nine months' time. And the yeah. market liked that. They were still worried about plasma mm. stuff. And, uh, you know, CSL said, look, we're basically on track. Yeah, I've always, I liked CSL when I, particularly when the price got to, what, 245 or something like that. Yeah, but I think the market got too bearish. Yeah. And um, I'm not really sure why, but it just got tagged in sort of the high growth, high multiple, got yeah. caught up in that. And that's why it's rallied. It's back up a... It's about thirty dollars. It's added since uh, mm. since last week, which is uh, over ten percent, about twelve mm. percent in the space of uh, three or four days. I was teased by one of our <coughs> viewers, Anton, and I uh, about my support for CSL, and you too. Yep. You copped it as well. Yep. And uh, I had a bet with him that uh, by the end of this year we'll be, you know, looking a lot, lot higher. Well, I got berated by a couple of people for participating in the share purchase plan, and they said, "Well, why do we buy two fifty three when it's now down at two forty three? Yeah. Okay, well it's now two seventy three, right? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you yeah. can't always get your timing right, but yeah, uh, you, know, you you got to uh, companies like this, you got to buy for the long term. I don't buy CSL for no. the trade, right? I buy I, in the dip. And, and I'm never going to pick the bottom, right? No. I just I think that's not the you don't so you don't expect to buy at the bottom, and yeah. but you do expect it to to demonstrate what it is, and it's a quality company, and it usually produces a quality report. Yeah. And uh, 
It's Build another buy. Up. It's another buy. Yeah, and I still think it's a buy. Probably. Let's go JB Hi-Fi now, Paul. We've always liked this company. We've always liked it when the price is low. Yeah, look, an outstanding buy, f- and um, not because of its ro- result, but because of its off-market share buyback. This mm. is an absolute gimme, right, for, for zero rate and low rate taxpayers. Yeah. That's why it's got jumped by more than... But not, not for high taxpayers. Not for high taxpayers. Um, it, price will come back off next following next mm. Tuesday, right? People have been buying it to participate in the off-market share buyback. Uh, is because the, the super low capital price for this means a huge fully frank dividend. Uh, and guaranteed at least 100 shares, and that's why it's been going up. So expect the price to come down when in the, in, it goes effectively ex-dividend, ex-buyback entitlement uh, at the close of trade next Tuesday. Mm. But it's done really well. It did report okay as well, Peter, and it was fairly upbeat about what's happened in January. So yeah. look, nothing negative, um, but primarily it's gone up because of the off-market share. So would you say it's a buy for this year, but you don't expect it to shoot the lights out in terms of share price? Uh, I think I think the price will come down after next Tuesday. A bit, a and then I'd be looking at it. I mean, I like, I'm a huge JB Hi-Fi yeah. fan. It's the best retailer in Australia. There's nothing close to it. Um, mm. So, um, but you know, 45 to 55 is sort of my range. I'd be looking a bit lower. Okay, let's go and look at um, Telstra now. Yeah, look, um, again, it's a bit hard to, the Telstra reported as expected. Um, there really any, share price is down. Share price it? has gone up a little bit. I think it's because there wasn't any new news. There wasn't, and they lost a few customers in, the, uh, in its fixed business. Mm. Um, but pretty well, it's, 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 it's reaffirmed guidance. Uh, it's on track. It had a positive earnings, uh, adjusted earnings growth in, in, in this half versus the previous half. So mm. it's, you know, we've seen the first earnings growth in Telstra in over a decade. You know, um, That's historic. Yeah, it is historic. And look, they, they, they're, they're getting there, right? Mm. I mean, um, it's not going to shoot the lights out. And I think maybe, you know, $4, you could say, fairly fully priced. Um, mm. Low risk mm. stock. Yeah. But I reckon back 380, we'll see it out, Pete. And, yeah. um, you know, because it's almost a bit like an annuity stock yeah. now. I, I feel it's a hold for me. And, you know, you yeah. and I got in a lot lower when we liked it. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes a bit higher the year, but it's more to me like a hold. Let's go and look at uh, Wes Farmers, Paul. Copped a bit today, didn't it? Yeah, it did cop a little bit. And again, um, I don't think it was anything too surprising in, in Wes Farmers' result. It's just that. Uh, you know, it's obviously COVID has impacted um, sales performance. So in we the had, retail and particularly, you know, in, in the traditional retail of Kmart and Target. Mm. You know, it does rely on foot traffic. We, do, we were discussing just how much online business. Sure, there's a lot of click and collect, but they had store closures yeah. and uh, you know severely disrupted uh, things. So, so sales were down. Even West Farmers, sorry, even Bunnings earnings were very fractionally down. Mm. Um, and you know, and office works. You know, well, no surprise, people aren't working in offices. Yeah. So, and I, and I guess even the cost of stuff at Bunnings has probably gone up with all the supply yeah, chain yeah. issues. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know whether the market might have just perhaps got a little bit, um, been expecting too much. Yeah. And uh, I don't think there's anything negative in the result. I think it just that the market perhaps, it, it, it looked at the result, dividends down a fraction, earnings are down. Um, and perhaps people saying, well, okay, West Farmers is, is trading. It's a, trading at a pretty expensive model. What, what price would you buy in Paul if you, if you weren't holding it? Uh, look, I'd be in my portfolio, but I think back around $50. I think it's sort of a $50 to $60 type stock. Mm. And, and uh, whenever it gets in the high 50s, I get a bit nervous. It's not a super yielder, but there's some positives. I mean, West Farmers is making good long-term investments. I yeah. think, you know, it, it's, 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 it 
it bought Galaxy Resources for the lithium. That's yeah. going to be a good long-term play. Let's go future play. business, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, West Farmers. It's industrial business and and and, and uh, sort of resources aligned business mm. is going to do better this year. Uh, you know, you can look at the takeover of. It bought uh, Kidman, not Galaxy. Sorry, uh, yeah, Kidman Resources. Sorry, I'm glad yeah. I was listening yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, API, the, yeah. the pharmaceutical business could be interesting. Yeah. yeah, so it's making positioning for the longer term. Um, yeah. it, you know, you can argue. But try Bunnings overseas. Yeah, one day will be a seventy dollars. You can't stock. keep on growing Bunnings forever, so no. we can't. Shouldn't be too surprised. No. Um, so uh, I, I think it's going to be a stock for the long term. Great long term stock. If the market sells off on this, this is probably a buying opportunity. What about Treasury Wirestone? It's had a good week. Yeah, I, I, I thought I, China was punishing. I, I, I like TWE. I reckon yeah. this is still a buy, Peter. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a good result. And uh, there's more in it. Right? Yeah. And um, yeah, they're, they're they're adjusting well to the. Uh, you know, the, the non-Chinese market. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, this was a over $20 stock, right? Yeah. Before yeah. the whole China thing blew yeah. up, I think. Yeah. I don't know quite, well, I can't remember quite the high. No, it was, but, it, it, but it was pretty close to that. And yeah. so down at sort of near $12 is, is still attractive. Um, I, think, I think some of our financial planning clients thought we had drunk too much TWE stuff. Uh, and we when we kept sticking to it, I'm glad it's coming good. Well, I think also they, they've done a good organisation. You know, Penfolds is almost like a separate brand. They've yeah. got the, they're getting I think the stuff in America right, yeah. uh, and they're sort of going more premium in terms of their other brands. And uh, look, it looks like to me it's a, it's it's firing. It's not you know it's no roses because there was a huge market into China that's just gone away, hmm. and they've got to replace that, uh, and that takes time. But um, here's, here's a hard question before we wrap up. Is there any stock you've seen over the last couple of weeks that you want to sell? Because everything we've talked about, we want to either hold or buy. Is there a stock out there that you've... Like I haven't. I'm worried. The tech stocks are coming, Pete. Yeah. And I think that's next week when we see the likes of WiseTech, Altium, um, Appen, yeah. uh, and a few others. We haven't seen the tech stocks. So yeah. I've really got to... Really Zip got to, as well. Yeah. Zip as well. We've really got to see them to see, uh, you know, maybe change my mind. Um, yeah. So the, really there's been... There haven't been too many disappointments. I mean, if you look at it, the financials... But you're even, even supporting AMP in a yeah, little... Yeah, no. And you've always yeah, been... The, 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 I mean, look, I'm not surprised by Origin's reaction today because mm. I don't like Origin, but no. the financials have done well, you know. So, you know, CBA, Bendigo, Suncorp, uh, even today Challenger mm. uh, was, 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 was a pretty good result. Yeah. The resource companies, the big resource companies, are by and large doing well. Market didn't like the Fortescue, but I just think they were just a bit... Yeah, I'm really, worried about yeah. uh, Ziggy and what he's doing in the in these uh, not Twiggy. Ziggy Twiggy, what he's doing in uh, uh, in, in green hydrogen in, in, stuff. Hydrogen stuff yeah. But uh, how much money been can be getting ploughed into that? Um, yeah, but resources are doing well. Financials have done well. The, the weakness the weakness has been a little bit of the consumer discretionary. But that's how much of that is COVID. Yeah. So we've got to watch that. We haven't really seen the tech companies come through yeah. yet. So that's next week. Yeah. And uh, I think they're the ones I'm most worried about. But okay. let's let's see how they uh, how they report. Overall, you've got to say reporting season's going pretty well. So far, so good. Yeah. That's Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. And that's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, if you want more in-depth analysis of companies that might be worth either buying or selling, go to switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining us. See you on Monday night.